You know, like I said, we're starting this new series, Love Revealed. And I believe that the Bible is the ultimate love story. God loving others, loving us, and loving others through us. And Jesus commanded that we should love as he has loved us. But yet the world has tried so often to change what that means and what it means to love others. And so this journey over the next few weeks through the series Love Revealed, we're going to look at Jesus' ministry, his journey on earth. And the love that he exhibited and how we're supposed to exhibit that same love, how we're supposed to emulate that love he called us to have. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples and ex- preparing them and explaining to them that, I, that he was about to die, he said this in John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus gave this command. It seems so simple. Love one another. But what does that really mean? I mean, how do we really follow through with that? It's so easy to say it, but let's be honest, if you're like me, it's not that easy to walk that walk, to love other people like Jesus called us to love. Yet he gave us this command. And as we wrestle with this, we wrestle with the idea of to understand the what and the how of loving one another. I mean, how do we really walk this walk? And in order for this to happen, we need to understand what Jesus said in follow-up to this command. To love one another as I have loved you. In other words, we will never fully understand what it means to love other people if we don't fully understand the love that he's given to us and how he exhibited that love when he walked on this earth. In order for us to love others, we need to first look at Jesus As he has loved us, we're called to love one another. In other words, to understand the what and the how of this command, we have to understand Jesus. We have to understand his heart, how he interacted with those in this world in order for us to get the what and the how of loving one another. You know, first and foremost, the most important thread through all this is understanding that love cannot occur without an investment in relationships. It just cannot happen. If we are not willing to invest in relationships, we will never understand God's love for us and how we're called to love other people. It's the ability and willingness to love. You see, we all have the ability to love, but oftentimes we wrestle with the willingness to love. And that's what investing in relationships is all about. At some point, we need to have a willingness to love not just those we call friends, not just those that we agree with on on 99.9% of everything that we uh, are, but also the unlovable, those we can't stand, those we struggle with getting along with, whoever it may be, we're called to love them too. And love is investing in those relationships But, you know, here's the struggle with all this. Here's, I think, the wrestling match that we all wrestle with, and I'm speaking to myself. Because I think what has happened is we have developed a tribal mentality. You know, the tribal mentality is this human tendency to seek out and connect and just surround ourselves with like-minded people who share common interests with ourselves. 
you know, our beliefs, our habits, you know, what we want to be, whatever it may be. And we only surround ourselves with, with those who agree with us or who are, who are more like us. And it just develops this mentality and we're overly loyal to this certain group and we fight for this group. But all we do by doing that, by that mentality, is we box people out. We box those we're called to love out. Now, before you shut me down and, and tune me out, you know, sometimes we think, well, that's not me, Bill. I don't do that. But think about it. At some level, every one of us has that tribalistic mentality. Every one of us. We see it in college with fraternities. We see it with our sports teams and our allegiance to our sports teams. But even more on a serious bent, we have a tendency to, be, have, to grow that mentality economically, socially, educationally, and let's be real, even politically. Tribalism divides. And this develops a heart focus that it's all about my tribe and I'm fighting for my tribe, fighting to maintain what I want. And the cause of tribalism is we lose our ability to effectively love others and invest in others in the what and the how that Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus commanded us to love one another. You know, and because of this mentality, because we have a tendency to, to go down this path, we tend to broadcast our tribal focus rather than who we are in Christ, rather than exhibiting his salt and his light, the focus changes. And to be honest, this is all about how we relate to people. This is all about how we relate to people. We tend to relate people more based upon our tribal focus, economically, educationally, politically, rather than the heart of God, the kingdom focus, that Jesus is called. You know, the Bible is full. You read the New Testament, you can't get too far without commands of one another's. You just can't. Throughout Jesus' ministry and throughout the New Testament, we are overloaded with one another commands. For example, we are supposed to encourage one another, bear with one another, comfort one another, show hospitality to one another, teach one another. I could go on and on and on. All throughout the New Testament, we see these one another commands that are all under the umbrella of loving one another. And we cannot fully follow through on those commands if we're not willing to invest in relationships. It just won't happen. Yet we lose our ability to invest in others, to invest in relationships, to be what Jesus called us to be to one another when we're tribal focused. And the division has caused many of us to lose sight on the what and the how of Jesus' command to love one another. You know, sp politically speaking, I know, I know people say, you know, we need to fight for our country. It's going down the tubes. And, and please, I agree. I'm concerned just as much as you are. But you know what I had to do within my own heart? I think we all need to do this at some point. I think we need to have a little bit of a heart check and be honest with ourselves. What kingdom 
are we all ultimately trying to save? What kingdom are we trying to restore? Is our hope in the restoration of a country or in the restoration of God's kingdom in this world? You see, it's fundamentally two different paths. In the, in, the, in the beginning of time, God created the perfect world. He created his perfection in this world, in the garden. Yet we messed it up. Mankind messed it up. And we brought sin into the world. And ever since then, God has been on this endless pursuit. What? To restore his kingdom back into this world. His kingdom. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's been the journey. To restore his kingdom in this world. And to understand this even more in view of the what and the how. Our journey, our part in this, Jesus says you are to love one another. We cannot overlook the reality of Jesus' ministry. That he was in a politically divided, politically charged environment. Yet his focus was constantly his kingdom. The apostle Paul was ministered during a politically charged and divisive environment. Yet his, king, his focus was constantly the kingdom. You see, our job is to love and guide people towards God's heart. And we are, what we see throughout the New Testament is the what and the how to love one another in the midst of worldly turmoil and division. See, Jesus revealed that. In his journey, in his three and a half years on this earth, he revealed in his walk how to love others in the midst of division and turmoil that's in the world all the time. All the time, there's always been division and turmoil in this world. We will never escape it. We will never get rid of it. Our call is to how do we love others? How do we be his salt and his light in the midst of all that craziness that is in the world? That's what Jesus revealed. And he constantly had a kingdom focus of loving others. He loved others and he guided them towards his truth. That's the ultimate goal. That's the challenge. You know what was one of the best pictures of this? It's the Last Supper. The Last Supper is an amazing picture of a bunch of ragamuffins, all with different backgrounds and preferences, who came together at, at, at one table. You know, there in Matthew 26, verse 20, it says that Jesus, when, when the evening came, he was re reclining at the table around the table with the 12 disciples. And I just think about, as I look across that table, as I read the scene and the story of the Last Supper, I cannot help but realize and see what a bunch of messed up men were around that table with Jesus. You know, if you want to talk about the tribal mentality and how it affected people, just look at the Last Supper scene. There you had Peter, who was just hours away from uh, denying Jesus. Who, who was just hours away from running and hiding, saying that I never knew the man, yet became one of the most courageous leaders we see in the early church. Just a, a couple of seats down was Judas. Judas was already on the threshold of, of, of betraying Jesus. It already began. He was already about to say Jesus to, to, the, to the leaders, here he is, take him. I don't know this man. I don't want to follow this man anymore. Here he was eating with this man. 
And you want to think about the, the division and turmoil that was within the society that rep, was represented around that table? There was Matthew. He was a tax collector. In other words, he worked for the Roman uh, government, the government that everybody else around that table hated. This man worked for them. And he didn't just work for them, but in his job, he cheated probably every other guy around the table at some point in their life just so he could get an extra buck. And then across the table from, 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 Math, uh, from Matthew was Simon the Zealot. Simon, as a zealot, was a man who his whole focus was, I hate the Roman government, and I want to overthrow the Roman government. He was a man who was ready for civil war. And here around this table were all these different tribal mentality focuses represented. And there's one common, common thing that kind of brought them all together. And his name was Jesus. And I read the Last Supper scene. And I just think, wow. Jesus, how can you love in the middle of all that division that's at your own table, how do you love? You see, we ultimately, we love, why? So that we can guide people towards God's heart. Because we believe that the truth will set you free. All oh, the truth will tick you off at first, but the truth will set you free. And there Jesus in this, in this Last Supper scene, and all throughout his ministry, he showed his heart. He showed his ability to love one another because love is the doorway to truth. We will never be able to guide people towards truth if we aren't willing to invest in them. It just won't happen. Or happen very irregularly. Jesus revealed the path towards his truth always had to be a willingness to invest in relationships. Jesus revealed the what and the how of love was in how we invest in others. That's what he revealed. How we invest in others matters. Gathering around the table provides that picture of what it means to, to invest in others. That's a representation of what we should be striving to do and what our heart focus should be in every interaction we have with friends, with, with people that we don't like or people we disagree with or even outcasts. To love one another is that willingness to meet people where they're at and guide them towards the heart of God. We all have the ability, but the question is do we have the willingness? That's the question. Do we have the willingness to truly invest in other people? Other people that we may not always see eye to eye with. You know, Jesus revealed throughout his ministry the importance of what that means and what love provides. You see, to love is to provide some key elements. You know, I believe that when God created us, he, he created within us a deep need that every one of us has. Every person has these deep rooted needs within our own self. That's the need for attention, the need for affection, and the need for affirmation. And we all have those deep-rooted needs, and the willingness to invest and love other people is to meet them where they're at and be willing to meet those God-given needs that we all have in our heart. Because here's the scary thing. 
We all have those needs. And if we don't meet them from God and godly people, we will try to find them in other ways to meet those needs. And guess what? That opens the door to more breakdown in people's lives, in our society, and throughout the world. You know, attention is the investment of time and focus. That's, everybody needs that in their life where I'm recognized. Like, you're not just trying to run past me, but you actually see me. You're spending time with me. You know, think about investing in other people is that willingness to give them time and focus. Eye to eye. I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm looking eye to eye. I'm hearing you. I see you. The next thing is the affection. We all have that God-given need for affection, that need to, to, you know, just who I am, that I'm cared for. And the investment in other people is the investment of care and concern. You know, this is saying you are suitable with who you are as a child of God. No matter your economical status, no matter your athletic ability, your educational background, or whatever sin struggle you may have in your life right now, I see you. I see you. And I care about you. That's the affection that we are called to give when we invest in other people. You know, Jesus, throughout his ministry, walked with people, broken people, people that others would say, why are you even hanging around with that person? Don't you know who they are? But yet Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus never said, get your problems in order, clear out all your debt, stop doing those whatever sinful habits you have in your life, just knock it off, then you can come, to be, come hang out with me. No, Jesus said, come to me, and I will give you rest. I will meet your needs. That rest is not just, I'm going to go to bed and have a 12-hour nap. That would be nice, though. That rest is I will meet the emotional and spiritual needs that you have in your heart. All the turmoil that you have because of your sin, all the brokenness you have because of your bad choices, whatever it may be, I will meet those needs. That's what Jesus said. Come to me and I'll take care of it. And when we invest in others, we're investing in the fact that, you know what, we've all messed up. We've all fallen short but I see you and I love you. And that leads to the affirmation. We all have that need of affirmation, that need to, you know what, I'm significant. I'm significant. I may not be able to hit a 90-mile-an-hour baseball and knock it out of the park. I may not be able to um, figure out and invent some of the most crazy and most earth-shattering inventions that change the world. I'm not that person but I see you, I see you. You know, loving one another, the willingness to invest in others is the investment in their significance. That despite their shortcomings, despite their failures, despite their struggles, they are valued. Significance is saying you matter to me. And at some point in our journey to be, um, to follow Jesus and his command to love one another, 
We need to have the will, willingness to invest in others, to take the time to give them attention eye to eye. I'm not running past you. To give them the affection that they need. I care about you. I'm concerned about you. And to give them the affirmation that you are significant. You matter to me. See, in the core of who we are, we all have these hardwired needs. You know it. Deep down, you know you have those needs. We all do. We all do. Jesus said to love others the way that you want to be loved. Well, here it is. You have those needs, and every person you walk past has those needs. Meet them. Invest in them. Give each person you come into contact with attention the acceptance, the affirmation that they need. and Because when this need is not fulfilled, like I said, if it's not fulfilled in a healthy, biblical way, guess what? They're going to find it some other way. And if they're not finding it biblically from the Son of God, the creator of everything that is, where else do you think they're going to find it? You want to change the world? You change the world by investing in the people you have in your line of sight. Do you believe that Jesus accepted and affirmed all the actions and attitudes of those disciples? No. No, he didn't. But he loved them where they were at. He gave them the attention and the affirmation and the acceptance that they needed as children of God, as creations of the creator himself. And through that investment in relationships, he guided them towards truth. He guided them towards his heart. You see, this is all about our posture. This is all about our posture in the relationships. You know, going back to the Last Supper scene with Jesus and the 12 disciples all around this table, I love the phrase, how it highlights in Matthew, Jesus reclined. You know, in that day and age, they didn't have tables and chairs like we have them today. You know, the Last Supper scene was actually at a table about this high, and they were sitting on the floor. And then in that time, when you reclined at the meal, it's like you were all in in that moment. You were all in. You weren't ready to jump out and leave or escape the dinner table. You were all in in the moment. And I think at some point in our journey, we need to have the willingness to be all in in the moment. Because to invest in others, what Jesus showed in his posture, is an investment in the moment. You want to make a difference in people's lives, you have to have a willingness to invest in the moment that you have right now. Are you investing in the moment in the relationships that you have? Because love is revealed by that investment in the moment. That's what's ultimately revealed. But let's be honest, we've become such a distracted society. We are so distracted in so many ways. We may be there physically, but emotionally, we may be miles away. We may be around the dinner table physically with those, but I'm checking my scores, right? I'm seeing what's going on in the next news highlight. I'm seeing what's going on in all the world that's out there, and I'm not invested in the moment here. Investing in others, the willingness to invest in others, what Jesus showed in his posture reclining at the table was his investment in the moment. Don't miss the opportunity to invest in the moment. You see, over and over again, Jesus used the opportunity to gather around the table with others, to invest in that moment, to reveal his love, to give attention, affirmation, and acceptance, to fulfill the deep need that we all have within our own hearts 
and that is to be known and to be loved. Every person that walks the face of the earth has the deep need within their hearts to be known and to be loved. Don't miss the opportunity to invest in the, in the moment, to meet those God-given needs, because those meet, meeting those needs opens the door to the opportunity for truth to be shared, for hope to be found, to the opportunity to change the world. You want to change the world? It happens one life at a time. One life at a time. That was Jesus' ultimate focus. He ate with sinners. He focused on building those relationships one by one. And he showed the heart of empathy. He loved people where they were at. And he guided them towards his heart. Who are you inviting to your table? This table represents your table. Who are you inviting to your table? You know, we have everybody, we all have someone in our line of sight who God has given us the opportunity to invest in. But have we been willing? There's two different paths. We have the opportunity, but we may not be willing. Who are you investing in? You see, the first chair represents your friends. These are the people that you get along with. They're, they're the ones you naturally hang out with. They're the ones that are easy to invite around, invite around the table. You agree with them. You guys have fun. It's, it's easy conversations. I mean, you can talk about nothing and something and everything else in between. It's good to have these friends. But also, let's not overlook the fact that our friends still need us too. You know, we need to invest in them as well. You know, it can't just be, hey, what are my friends doing for me? But how am I investing in them? Is, is all of our conversation superficial and what happened with the game this afternoon? Or am I taking time also to, what's going on in your life? You know, I kind of saw you acting out in a different way last week. It wasn't, I didn't think it was cool. What's going on? Are we investing in our friends? You know, the other chair represents the outcasts. You know, this is the, group of people that Jesus probably hung out with the most outside of his disciples. The outcasts are, you know, those who are on the streets that no one wants to hang out with. It's, it's the people who just got out of jail and trying to get back into society, and, but no one wants to, to, be in, to have anything to do with them. It's, it's the people who are struggling with addictions or, or other sin habits or whatever it may be. It's, it's the, the people that, generally speaking, society says, I don't want you. That's who we should invite to the table. That's who Jesus invited the table with. You know, Jesus, like I said, constantly, everybody said he's eating with a sinner. Do you know who he's eating with? Yeah, I do. You know why? Because they have a deep desire to be known and to be loved. And if they don't have that need met by us, the church, by God himself, where do you think they're gonna find it? Where do you think they're gonna find it? You know, there's a man in the Bible who Jesus actually was an outcast who Jesus hung out with. His name was Zacchaeus. His story is in Luke chapter 19. And there in that story, Zacchaeus was a man, to be honest, in his community was hated by everybody. Why? Because he worked for the Roman officials. He worked for the enemy government. 
And he probably cheated about every person in that community as a tax collector to get an extra buck. And here, at the height of Jesus' popularity, he was walking down the street, and the parade gathered all around. The people crowded the streets. Everybody wanted to just get a glimpse of Jesus. And there Zacchaeus was trying to get a glimpse. And oh, by the way, the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a short man. He could not oversee the crowd. And so there you can imagine the, the people all lining up on the street. They know, they know Zacchaeus is there. But they're like, I know who you are, and I don't like you. So they're not letting him through. All Zacchaeus wants to do is see Jesus. That's all he wants to do. Who is this man? And he climbed up this tree in the center of town. And he just waited. And there Jesus walked by. And check out this verse. As he walked by, it says that when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up. Jesus looked up into the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There, in the middle of all the crowd, Jesus spotted out and highlighted this outcast and said, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. I don't know what all was said there. I would love to know the background. Okay, how did you start the conversation, Jesus? What did you guys talk about? Did you talk about the, 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 the game highlights first? Did you, you know, talk about what's going, what the latest show you watched on, on Netflix? What, what did you talk about first? Then, then how did the conversation go? I don't know all those details, but I do know this. During that time around that table, Zacchaeus, who was felt unwanted by society because of his own poor choices found acceptance, affirmation, and, and um, acknowledgement from Jesus around this table. And somewhere through meeting those basic needs to be known and to be loved, he found the truth. How do I know that? Because the story ends like this. As soon as it was done, Zacchaeus came flying out of his house. This man, Jesus, I'm for this guy. I'm, I'm going to follow this guy now. I want to walk with him. In fact, I want to make all my wrongs right. I'm going to give back everybody that I stole from. In fact, I'm going to give you back double or triple. You name it. I want to go above and beyond uh, making, my, my, making my wrongs right. Why? Because this man changed my life. I don't know the dialogue that took place. All I know is this man who was an outcast, who was a sinner, who was despised, walked into this, his house, sat around this table, and found by the Son of God to be known, to be loved, and found truth. You want to change the world? Meet those human, God-given needs. Invest in others. And guide them towards the heart of God. That last chair, <laughs> this is the hardest one. This is the person, the people that you just can't stand. Oh, yeah, you know who they are. You're already thinking about them. They're the people you argue with politically. They're your neighbor who just would not turn off the music last night. They're the parent at the, on the sidelines who just screams obnoxiously. You know, who is this person for you? See, Jesus doesn't say just love those who you agree with, love those who you get along with, love those who you like. He says, I want you to love the unlovable. The unlovable are the people we just can't stand. 
Jesus calls us to love them, to invite them around our table too. And that's what we're called to do. You know, I've learned in my journey that the people who tend to be acting out the most, who probably annoy you the most, are the ones who probably need you the most. It's crazy, but it's true. Don't build your walls around them. Invest in them. We don't have time to get into it, but I encourage you at some, part, at some time this week to, to read Romans 12. Romans 12, I believe, gives a, a beautiful picture and a journey of how you can really love those people you can't stand. How to not let evil win, but strive to do good, to walk in their shoes, to practice empathy, to do good things to them. You know, if you follow that path that's revealed in Romans 12 of loving people where they're at, even those you can't stand, I believe God will open up doors in your life. He will change relationships. You can change the world. How do you change the world? One life at a time. One person at a time. You change the world by your willingness to invest in others. So who are the people for your chairs? I know you already have some names going through your mind. Who are the outcasts that you need to love on a little bit more in your line of sight? Who's that person that you just can't stand? That annoys the craziness out of you. But you know, I need to invite them around my table. I need to invest in them. And even your friends. Even those friends that maybe you got too busy to hang out with. You may send them a, a line, one or two, on Facebook every now and then, and then, but you really haven't invited around your table in a long time. I believe you probably already know who some of these people are. But you know, if we want to be obedient to Jesus' call to love one another, we need to have the willingness to invest in them. The willingness to meet that God-given need to be loved and to be known, to help them feel affirmed, to give them the attention, to help them feel accepted that you are a child of God. Like Jesus and Zacchaeus, meet those needs and watch the opportunities open up to guide them towards God's heart, towards God's truth. The truth will set us free. Who are the people in your chair? Who are the people that you need to invite around your table? And what are you gonna do about it? Let's pray. Father, in this moment right now, we run towards you. Lord, we cling to you. Lord, it's so hard. I'm speaking from my own heart how hard it is to sometimes walk your walk of love in a world that's so broken, in a world that's so divided, in a world that's so caught up in turmoil. But you did that. And Lord, help us to follow your example. Lord, just like you with Zacchaeus at that table, help us to love the way you've loved like you around the Last Supper table with all the 12 disciples who all had different emotions and backgrounds and thoughts and disagreements. Lord, you loved. You met those needs to be known and to be loved that guided, 
them towards your truth, towards your heart. And Lord, help us to experience that. Help us to walk that. And may we just be your salt and your light in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.